control uh, our uh, transportation grid and everything else. So this is an attempt at reinventing the occupation through what is called the American, the ultimate deal or the deal of the century or the American plan, which seeks to reposition Israel where, whereby Israeli security is paramount, where Israel in the region is a major uh, military, political, uh, economic, intelligence uh, power in, uh, in the region, and the Palestinian question becomes uh, an internal issue for Israel to deal with at will, as, as the, the so-called American ambassador to Israel, Friedman said, I mean, it is up to Israel, but it wants to annex and not annex. Huh? They can annex whenever they want and whatever they want. So, it, I mean, I'm sure the irony is not lost on any of you, but the, the arrogance, the total lack of respect, not just for the other, for the Palestinians and so on, because they're used in a racist way to dismissing Palestinian humanity and rights, but also in, in the disdain and contempt that they show for international law, for legality, and for justice. And the fact that now, I, I, will, I will stop shortly. But now, ideology and, and as I said, hypernationalism and, and fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism, uh, are all seen to trump justice and, and the rule of law. That's why all these factors have created a situation of extreme danger and threat, which threatens not just Palestine, not just Israel, but also. You're tuned in to listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. The more compassion we have towards animals, the more compassion we're going to have towards other people. If you can value them all, you, you really value yourself as well. So even if you don't care about animals, the, the things we do that hurt animals end up hurting ourselves. It's almost kind of a dominion type issue where we feel we need to control everything. Dominion means stewardship, to take care of. What would a cow think about satisfying our habit? The challenge lies with looking at suffering from the perspective of the person or individual suffering. Welcome to this month's episode of Voices for the Animals. I'm Michelle Coppola, and along with Noah Bristol and Julianne Schwartz, we are very proud to bring you this monthly program here on KBOO Portland. We strive to be a source of news and awareness about the treatment, welfare, rights, and issues affecting the other sentient, non-human creatures with whom we share this planet, and we truly appreciate you listening today. So I hope you've managed to stay healthy and sane during this time. What is it all the commercials are saying? It's challenging, unusual, difficult, uncertain. All those definitely apply. I know that one of the things that uh, I am missing the most is travel. And that is kind of the focus of our show today. If you've done some traveling, maybe you've seen or even done things like riding elephants or camels, swimming with dolphins, gone to a killer whale performing show at a place like SeaWorld, you don't want to miss this conversation because... Animal tourism, really not much of a vacation for the animals. This morning, we are so lucky to have with us Ben Williamson. He's the program's director of World Animal Protection U.S., which you may have heard of by its former name, the World Society for the Protection of Animals. They have offices in 15 countries worldwide. They're involved in rescue work, helping animals in disaster areas, campaigning for animal rights, animal agriculture, humane education, virtually every aspect of animal welfare. Their work is vast 
and comprehensive on behalf of animals. Ben, I am so excited to have you here and thank you for being with us. Can you tell us a bit about your history and how you became involved in this work? I got involved because well, I've been an animal rights professional for about 10 years now. And I was with uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, uh, in London and then in Los Angeles for around seven years. And I really liked World Animal Protection's approach. I noticed um, in 2015 that this organization that I'd never heard of had uh, convinced 100 travel companies to, to ditch elephant rides. And that was something that I definitely stood up and took notice for. And, and indeed, I read a little bit more about them. And I really like the way World Animal Protection applies scientific analysis to everything that they do. So all of their campaigns are backed by reports and they work with some of the world's leading universities. And I've been here for over a year and a half now, and, and it's great. It's all, um, it's all working really well. You know, some of the most abused animals in the tourism industry are elephants. I know WAP is doing and has done quite a bit of work in this area, and the use and abuse of elephants is widespread, especially throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, in addition to elephant rides, can you describe how else these animals are utilized in tourism and what is involved in their capture and training? Sure. Well, uh, last week, in fact, World Animal Protection released uh, new footage of the elephant training methods known as the crush. And this was the first time in over 50 15 years that footage like this has been filmed and it shows training methods that industry figures said was no longer the case um, but our investigation shows that it's actually the most routine way that elephants are trained to to give rides and perform and uh, and it's happened to all of the captive elephants in Thailand who work in the entertainment industry um, we've seen a lot of progress with elephant riding in the last few years the acceptability of rides has, has dropped in fact by 12 percentage points from 53% in 2014 to 41% in 2019. Um, and a lot of venues have actually begun to advertise the fact that they don't offer rides because a lot of tourists now find it unpalatable. Right. But what they're doing instead, and to get to, to get to your question, is they're advertising things like feeding activities and washing activities. Never mind the fact that elephants have been able to wash themselves perfectly well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but these direct contact activities mean that elephants are trained in exactly the same way in order to be submissive and to be close and still. To really? Okay. I, I was not aware of that. Yeah. Well, it, in order to get them to to not uh, act as, as a wild animal would, they're right. trained through these fearful punishment methods. And um, it's completely abhorrent and something that needs to, to long be consigned to the history books. You know, I uh, have seen the video, the crush video that you have put up on the WAP site, and I will provide a link to it. I will warn people it is a difficult watch, but if you are considering doing interactive elephant activities, it's important that you do watch it. Also, with the pandemic, I'm seeing news stories and posts about how the elephant handlers in these countries are struggling because tourism has, has died down. What is happening to those elephants who were their livelihood? Um, well, hundreds of elephants have, have actually gone back home. So most elephants are only rented by the tourist venues. Oh. They're sent back to their owners in more rural areas. Um, and in many villages, these elephants may end up just being chained in, in nearby patches of forest or, or near the houses of the owners. Um, many owners uh, will likely go back to tourism once the situation recovers. Um, there's no no other income opportunity for elephants in Thailand. Right. Our 
to worry at the moment is that elephants in Thailand and other parts of Southeast Asia have nothing to do and the owners will think that this is a good time to breed them. Um, an elephant's gestation period is, is around two years, meaning that in two years time we could see a baby boom. It's meaning that this their cruel cycle of abuse is going to continue for another generation. So right now our Thai office is working with the government to place an emergency ban on the breeding of elephants because it's clear that the owners can't manage their elephant's well-being in a downturn. So why on earth would you bring in any more elephants if you're not able to provide for them? Well, what about elephant sanctuaries like Elephant Nature Park in Chiang Mai, uh, places that take in elephants who were formerly abused or used in logging, that sort of thing? Are those uh, acceptable and more ethical activities? They are more ethical. Um, elephant Nature Park is, is one of a handful of venues in Thailand that are doing the right thing. And World Animal Protection researchers have been to them all um you know we've got staff who has an elephant phd and we've done an audit of all of the the thai venues so elephant nature park for example doesn't allow touching um that's one of the requirements of being a good venue humans required to maintain a safe distance from the animals uh, the elephants are allowed to behave naturally and are not given commands through the threat of punishment by their trainers and no good sanctuary would allow breeding either so these elephants were all rescues and it can be really difficult to tell the difference between a good venue and a bad one. So we do have some information on our website. If you go to worldanimalprotection.us slash elephant friendly, um, you'll see kind of a, a checklist of things to look out for if you're thinking about going to one of these places. Very important. We'll make sure to put that link up as well. Now, the scope of animal entertainment and tourism is a really big one, right? So I want to focus on some of the most well-known and popular activities in tourist destinations. You know, most people are aware of the documentary Blackfish, so there's some awareness about the dark side of dolphin and killer whale shows. However, I want to talk about something that is really widespread in tropical tourist destinations all over the world, and that's swimming with dolphins and other aquatic wildlife. Life. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, it's pretty benign. They're in the ocean, right? Uh, can you shed some light on why this is so problematic? Sure. Well, swimwear activities are, are usually more of an exclusive activity for individuals or small groups of people to interact with one or a few dolphins directly in a, in a tank. Um, and during this activity, the dolphin is expected to be in close proximity to the visitor so that they can touch or kiss or hug or, or hang on to the animal's dorsal fin or, or, or get the dolphins pull them through the water. Um, and the dolphins are, are thwarted. If they attempt to move away, the trainers recall them and use dead fish as a reward for acting against their, their natural preferences. And these interactions can be stressful for dolphins. They may not allow the animals to, to choose to rest or, or become secluded if that's what they prefer. They can also lead to behavioral changes that disrupt the social bonds in a group of dolphins. And, and we've seen time and time again, these activities can lead to visitor injuries. Dolphins can become aggressive or overly energetic during these interactions and, and children and other people can get hurt. But it's really the, as with all dolphin activities, it's really the captive setting, which is the most fundamentally problematic for the animals. The lack of space is a primary concern. And all dolphin entertainment takes place within these settings and it really represents a, a life sentence from which the dolphin can't escape. That's true even if they are in an ocean space, which I have seen swimming with dolphin activities in an ocean type space, but they are still captive. Exactly. If they're captive, the rules are slightly different. So 
swimming activities with wild dolphins should be discouraged. At the very least, it must be carefully managed to prevent swimmers from approaching or doing anything that intrudes on or affects the animals. But if they're captive, they really have no choice about it. You're listening to Voices for the Animals on 90.7 FM, KBOO Portland. We are listener-supported community radio, and none of our programming exists without your help. If shows like this one are meaningful and important to you, please support us by going to kboo.fm and making a donation of any amount. Just look to the top right and click on Donate. It is that easy, and we thank you so much. We are speaking with Ben Williamson, Program Director of World Animal Protection in New York. Our topic today, Animal Tourism and entertainment if you have ever been on vacation swam with dolphins maybe taken an elephant ride trekked down a trail on the back of a mule or camel you'll want to listen to this show now the thing is our goal here really isn't to lay a bunch of guilt on you if you've done those things in the past but instead to inform you as to why they're not a vacation for the animals that are involved in them that way as they say you can make good choices in the future because when you know better you do better you know one of the misconceptions i think people have when they interact with exotic wildlife in these settings is that if the animal was born in captivity such as those born in zoos and wildlife parks and trotted out for photo ops that sort of thing is that these animals are somehow more domesticated can you explain why that is not true sure um a wild animal never loses their wild instincts just because they're born in captivity so they don't lose the, the the urge that they've evolved to have to hunt or forage simply because they were born outside of their natural homes. Uh, in contrast, dogs have been domesticated over thousands of years, uh, but most wild animals would, would still try to avoid contact with humans, and they haven't evolved to enjoy the experience of being pulled around for photo ops or given commands. And most tourists who take, wild, take photos with wild animals I love animals you know this is one of the, the the strange paradox of all these things it's actually animal lovers who cause the most harm to animals and it's understandable that people want to take a selfie with the sloth or post a picture with a pink river dolphin but if they really knew the suffering that these wild animals endure for this type of photo opportunity um they probably want to put their phones away and it's you know it's it's understandable an animal in an unnatural setting might seem docile and relaxed, but for the different environments to them, they can become scared really easily. They're often disoriented, um, or they may have simply given up the will to live, which happens with many wild animals who spend their lives in small barren cages or tanks, and we see this all the time. It is very heartbreaking for sure. Um, since we're talking about domestication, here in the U.S. Um, and, and also around the world, many horses, mules, donkeys are used in animal tourism. And from what I've read, their lives are very difficult. Um, they're packed up and forced to carry heavy loads and people up and down uh, hills and trails and towns and, and canyons. Can you describe the kind of lives these animals have? Sure. Um, we, we get reports of animal suffering all the time in these kind of places. Uh, these animals are often used to l uh, lug tourists up canyons, as you say, and carry equipment. Um, most people go to these places to hike and explore the beauty of the area, but for the animals that have the sun beating down on them, they're forced to carry the workload. We've seen, uh, we've seen reports of, and, and indeed investigations, of animals slipping down these narrow trails and falling to their death. Um, we've seen these, these animals not being kept in fantastic conditions, their pens littered with trash, while others have 
being tethered uh, without any protection from the sun. Um, and it, it doesn't need to happen. There's plenty of ways to enjoy the majesty of nature without subjecting an animal to, to your backpack or, or your, to carry your load. Uh, there was one, um, one investigation that we did when uh, I was at PETA of uh, a venue in the Middle East, Petra in Jordan, which as some people might know is an right. wonder of the world. And the, the security go around on electric carts, um, but the, the animals, unfortunately, are the ones who have to bear the brunt of, of the tourists who you know, lug them around on their backs. Um, so you know, it's definitely something that it's not traditional, it's not natural. Um, it's, it's all for the paying public, and the best thing that you can do is vote with your wallet and, and make sure that, that you're not a part of the animal suffering. I do want to talk a little bit about the controversy in the past few years, uh, especially in American cities for sure, uh, with regard to carriage horses like in New York and in Chicago. Chicago is going to stop the horse-drawn carriage rides next year. Uh, they're still fighting the battle where you are in New York. Uh, why should people avoid taking these rides, and what is the harm to the animal? They, You know, the people who, who drive drive the carts and make their living this way, uh, they often say, I love my horse and I take very good care of it. But that's not really always the case, correct? I've no doubt that, that people who claim to love their animals believe that they're telling the truth, but I find it very hard to, to weave that story. You know, I love a lot of things that, that bring me joy and financial reward, um, but I would never treat animals the way that horse carriages certainly are treated. Making horses pull oversized loads it's cruel and they're forced to work in all weather conditions uh, to dodge traffic and they they're not they haven't evolved to to walk on the hard human-made surfaces that we make them walk on they often develop respiratory ailments because they breathe in exhaust fumes and they can suffer from debilitating leg problems uh, as i say from working on these hard surfaces and their accidents waiting to happen unfortunately we see um, every, every month, it seems like a new video of a horse panicking in the street or, or keeling over happens. So if people live in, in cities where carriage rides are still allowed, I would uh, encourage them to contact their local legislators and ask if they sponsor a ban. We're seeing a lot of action, as you say, in Chicago and New York. We're slowly chipping away at the horse carriage industry here. Um, and, you know, it's about time that these things were, were done with. Then I want to circle back to uh, Africa here and talk a little bit about safaris, certainly not hunting safaris, but the kind where tourists are taken into preserves and see and photograph wild animals and like more passive things like going to see mountain gorillas in their habitat in Rwanda. I myself, I've snorkeled with manatees in Florida, but I did keep a respectful distance. Are these things harmful to animals, something more passive like this? Not really. In fact, they can be good for animals. Uh I guess the best thing that could happen for the planet's animals would probably be if the human race disappeared, but that's not likely. <laughs> um, but responsible wildlife tourism can be a benefit. It can boost local economies, creating a market for wildlife watching instead of wildlife hunting. And it can end up paying for things like anti-poaching patrols and fences and drone surveillance and the, the kinds of things that, that animals need and, and to, to protect them from humans, really. Um, now, it's definitely not easy, and World Animal Protection works with some of the biggest travel companies, such as Airbnb and Booking.com and TripAdvisor, to help responsibly feed the demand from people who, who as I say, simply want to be close to animals and, and have a, a great coexistence with nature. And our job is to, to make the responsible wildlife activities pay more 
than the irresponsible wildlife activities. And in that way, we can actually help animals instead of hurting them. Right. Uh, as you said, a lot of the activities we've been talking about are wrapped up in conservation, the habitat and the animal or in the economic survival of a community. So in some cases, in a more passive activity, they can be a net good. Um, and is there a way for people to tell the difference? Are there certain ways, things to look for? I know you mentioned earlier when it comes to the elephant activities, um, but are there other things that people should look for when doing something that involves animals when they're traveling? or doing tourism? Um, that's a really good question. And it can sometimes just be, you know, I can't even tell whether an activity is uh, is good for the animal or not. Um, and I've been doing this a long time. It would take a veterinarian to be able to spot if the animal is suffering. I think a rule of thumb that we often try to get people to think about is if you can hug it, if you can kiss it, if you can ride it, uh, if you can have a selfie with it, the chances are it's been cruel that the animal has been abused to be that close to you. So observing animals at a distance, um, being respectful of, of their time, letting them come over to you if they if they want to, but but not to not in a way that changes their environment by offering them food, that kind of thing. We should have a respectful relationship with wildlife at a distance. So I, you know, I think the best thing that people can do is, is get online. The big animal organizations like ours have lots of information. We've done a lot of research on some of these places. Also read the, the advice on TripAdvisor. That's what I do. Get on TripAdvisor, see the comments, see if anyone's had an adverse um, experience with, with one of these places. And if you have, um, then you know, I would avoid it. You did mention TripAdvisor. There are other um, organizations, other travel outfits and so forth who are refusing to be involved in um, more unethical animal tourism activities. What other companies are taking steps to minimize the, uh, the unethical tourism? Um, well, last year we worked with Airbnb um, on their animal welfare policy, and it, it's one of the most progressive animal welfare policies of any major travel organization. So they they completely uh, ban uh, things like captive dolphin experiences, um, like using animals for sport. And so their animal experiences um, are just wildlife friendly. So mostly about observation and interacting with, with animals in their homes, not ours. Um, and that's something that we really encourage the travel industry to pay attention to, especially now as we're building back uh, from the, 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 the pandemic and the, that's just completely shut down over the last six months. We need to build back in a way that doesn't harm animals for, for their long-term and the, and the tourism industry's long-term survival. You know, the COVID pandemic came from animals. It came from uh, animals being too close to one another and then right. too close to them. So we really need to think about our relationship with animals in the tourism industry. And we can't just go on as we have before because that's what got us into this mess. Are there other animal attractions and activities that we haven't touched on that people should avoid when they go traveling or on vacation? Um, oh, definitely. There's, there's unfortunately a, a long list. I guess one of the most popular ones uh, is people might be tempted to visit tiger temples uh, mm -hmm. or always have their photos taken with big cats, and, and they should definitely be avoided. Tiger cubs are also cruelly separated from their mothers, like elephants, uh, when they're young. They're used as photo props with tourists that are constantly viewed and mishandled hundreds of times a day, which, which leads to stress and injury. 
and um, they're punished to stop aggressive behavior, which is only their natural behavior. And in the US too, tiger cub petting is a problem. So no doubt many of your listeners will be familiar with the Netflix documentary, Tiger King. Right, we did a show on that actually. My last show in April, we uh, we talked about that with someone from the Humane Society International and locally as well about, uh, about that. Uh, one of the virtually only good things that has come of it is there has been a little bit more awareness about how horrible this is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, really, Tiger King, because, you know, on the one hand, we're, we're part of the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance, and uh, call to, to the BCSA went up by a thousand percent after Tiger King. So that's great that people, you know, might be taken in by the by the apparent glamour of the whole thing. So so really, we you should avoid those places overseas, but then realize that they exist here in the U.S. and avoid them, too. So Ben, when people are traveling or when they are planning the activities they're going to do when they travel, what would you like them to keep in mind to ensure that any activities they're doing that involve animals are humane? For World Animal Protection, it's all about following the golden rule. If you can hug it, if you can kiss it, if you can ride it or take a selfie with it, the chances are it's cruel and it's best avoided. We need to have a good mutually beneficial relationship with animals and it's entirely possible. Um, it would be horrible if we lost animals altogether from the planet, which is which is the kind of existence that we're we're facing right now. We've lost 60% of the wild species on the planet in the last 50 years, and we're facing a sixth extinction now. If we can't get our act together and exist in a way with wild animals that is mutually beneficial to, to all species, then we'll just have to give them up completely. We so appreciate you being on the show today. Your organization is doing amazing work globally on behalf of animals. So I'd like you to tell us how people can find out more about what you're up to and to get involved. Absolutely, thank you. Um, well, thank you for, for having me on the show. So people who want to find out more about World Animal Protection are welcome to sign up to our mailing list. Uh, and you can find us at worldanimalprotection.us. Uh, and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're World Animal Protection US. We've been speaking with Ben Williamson, Program Director of World Animal Protection US. They're the stateside office of World Animal Protection International. And as he mentioned, they are working to help animals, both wild and domestic, globally and here in the United States. If you didn't catch it when he mentioned it, you can find it along with a podcast of this show on the KVOO website at kvoo.fm slash Voices for the Animals. It's also on our Facebook page under Voices for the Animals. The links to the Elephant Crush video we talked about will be on both pages. Like I said, it's not an easy watch, but it's definitely something that you'll want to see before you plan any tourist activities that involve elephants. I'm also going to post the link to the humane elephant activities that you can participate in on the World Animal Protection page as well. Don't forget to hit us up on our Facebook page if you have ideas for future shows or any comments about the program. We'd love to hear from you. Our Facebook page is also a place where you can keep up with what's happening in the animal welfare community. My name is Michelle Coppola. For myself and for our other program hosts, Noah Bristol and Juliet Schwartz, we want to thank you so much for listening to Voices for the Animals here on 90.7 KBOO FM. We'll be back again on the fourth Friday of September with another episode. And until then, stay well and be kind to animals and to each other.
You are listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM, also heard at Translator K220HR Hood River at 91.9 FM and Translator K282BH in Philomath at 104.3 FM. And we're streaming at the top of our lungs on www.kboo.fm. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday morning, and it's thus time for Film at 11, the weekly panel show reviewing recent films on both the small and the large screen. This is DK Home, and this week I'll give a quick survey of some recent additions to cinema streaming. Then turn the reins over to Jeff and Matthew for more offerings. Ava is another movie about a paid assassin whose bosses turn on her, in this case Jessica Chastain. This is a cliched plot which is really about addiction, but she and the other cast members raise it to a higher level. The cast including John Malkovich, Colin Farrell, and Gina Davis. And director Tate Taylor manages several welcome visual flourishes. HBO's Bad Education is not the school comedy its title suggests, but a true crime tale about a high school principal who built his institution for several millions to finance his secret life. He is a fascinating character whom Hugh Jackman brings both charm and steel to the part, with Allison Janney as the accountant who takes the first fall and Ray Romano as a key school board member. House of Hummingbird, which last time I looked is part of the Kiggins Virtual Theater, is a poignant story of a 14-year-old student in Korea in 1994 and a harsh look at her terrible home life with an angry father and a bullying brother, among others. Her various friendships and boyfriends are transcended by, a, uh, by guidance from a Chinese language teacher who sort of befriends her. The year is significant because it is when the Songsu Bridge collapsed. By coincidence, both Madness and the Method and the Cut and Chop are about actors using the method. Cut and Chop is a negligible straight-to-video horror porn, but the other is directed by and stars Jason Mewes of the Kevin Smith movies. And in a Smithian way, for a while, captures some of the comic paradoxes of show business before it becomes essentially a horror film. And finally, The Assistant is writer-director Kitty Green's look at a day in the life of a personal assistant to a Weinstein-style movie producer. Ms. Green usually makes documentaries, and there is a quotidian realism here that is enhanced by Julia Garner as the increasingly shocked and disgusted main character. The best scene occurs when she attempts to complain to human resources about the situation, and instead they charge her with jealousy and other 
uh, matters. The complaint thus goes nowhere, and the day ends.